Uh, hello, hello. You are listening to a pastor in his newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Castro. It's good to be with you. And uh, I was just observing what was around me. Um, and I noticed a box of pod desk interview deck. I guess it has some podcast questions. I think if another podcast here at the church has these cards. So thought I'd do one just for fun. It says who or where would you, who or where, where would you haunt if you were a ghost? I've been thinking about this for a little bit. Um, I'll do both who I don't think I could. I don't think any ghost could haunt Nick Saban. I don't think that guy is afraid of anything. So uh, I'm going to pick uh, Shane Beamer, uh, the football coach for South Carolina. They that what happened on that Saturday when we lost to them was a nightmare. And so um, I'm going to return the favor and haunt him. Where would I do it? Where would I haunt? Um, oh, goodness. Probably uh, the one place I really do not like is um, University of Florida and their football stadium, the swamp. So I would want to be a ghost there and haunt all those Gator fans. I'm not a fan of the of Florida Gators. So there you go. I'll, I'll do these once in a while. It's kind of fun. Um, so uh, some things to talk about as we kind of uh, draw into the uh, close out the year. Uh, we may have one more podcast episode before the Christmas break. And so uh, and then we'll kind of move into season two of a pastor's newspaper. So uh, looking forward to that. And um, actually here at Central Church, we're getting a little more organized with our podcasts. And so uh, one of these episodes may get showcased um, every month and uh, we'll get those out to some other people, some new listeners, which I'm pretty excited about. So, um, so yeah, look forward to that. Um, a few things we'll talk about today. One is the United Methodist church and some of the issues going on with them. And, um, so we're talking about that, but then I want to give you just a list of my favorite reads of this year, favorite movies of this year and some of my, uh, on my reading list for the kind of the holidays. Um, and hopefully if you're a reader, you get some uh, book recommendations. I love podcasts that provide book recommendations. One of my favorite podcasts is by Kevin DeYoung, um, theology books and or books and theology and everything. I think is what it's called. And they're always recommending books and it's great. And I try to find them in the library so they don't have to buy them. Um, and so, yeah, so I want to provide some, some books that I read that I was encouraged by that were thought provoking and they're not a lot of good movies out there this year. So I'll mention just a few, uh, for you, if you're interested in some of the things that I watch. Um, and maybe you mentioned a few TV shows as well since there are a lot more TV shows now than there are movies, but going into talking about the Methodist church, uh, United Methodist church is one of the, it's right behind the Southern Baptist convention, uh, as the second largest Protestant denomination in the United States. There are, um, up to, let me read the list. There are 30,000, 30,000 United Methodist churches in the United States. And, and what I, I remember, um, it's interesting. I, I, when I taught a class at Boyce college, we were talking about the history of kind of the two largest or most, one of the greatest church planning movements, which were the Southern Baptist and the Methodist. And they had similar upbringing coming from more the planning churches, more in the rural sections of the United States, you know, Methodist and Baptist were kind of the poor man, the poor family, the poor people's church and more the rich, the elite would go to the, you know, your 
your church of church of England, Episcopal. Um, some of them would be going to some of your, um, Northern Baptist, um, Presbyterian in particular, Presbyterians are very, were very strong, uh, in some of the major, uh, Northeastern, uh, cities, obviously, you know, Catholics as well. Um, and, uh, and some of the more historic, um, some Ivy league schools come from, you know, Presbyterian, uh, some Northern Baptists and things like this. And the Baptists and the, the Southern Baptists, especially, and the Methodists were very much similar history and similar church structures. And, um, and so, uh, they do have a lot in common. And so, um, I'm not going to go into a lot of the history of Methodism. You could probably find that online somewhere and, and look at Wesley and um, traditions and where the Methodist uh, denomination comes from is John and, and Charles Wesley. And uh, but so I don't want to go too deep into the history, just kind of get you to understanding what's going on right now. So currently, as of actually just recently, 487 United Methodist churches were approved for uh, disaffiliation. Uh, so that actually, uh, so there's been some churches over the, the past little bit that are, have been decided to leave the United Methodist denomination over disagreements over um, LGBTQ and, and should they be able to be members of the church? Should they be able to be uh, bishops in the church and be leaders in the church? And so there's a huge battle over, over that issue. And so, so the more conservative United Methodist churches have decided to leave the larger general United Methodist denomination. So, uh, like I said, the total is about 1300 churches uh, as of now have decided to leave the denomination. Now there's, like I said before, there's 30,000, 30,000 United Methodist churches. So there's still a large number um, of the churches have decided to, to leave the denomination. And so uh, they're, they're expecting hundreds more are, are actually in the process right now of being approved for uh, disaffiliation. Uh, the general count, the general conference, uh, the big meeting where I guess uh, a lot of these these decisions are going to ultimately come down uh, is in 2024. Uh, but they have searches have to the end of 2023 to basically leave the denomination and be able to hold on to their, their buildings and their property. Um, and so they're expecting, this is the expectation that, that there could possibly be up to 5,000 churches leaving the United Methodist denomination, 5,000 out of 30,000 U S churches. That's a large amount. That's one sixth of the, of the churches leaving the denomination. Some are actually about 90% are, are joining a, a new denomination that they're calling the global Methodist church. This is, um, uh, churches, obviously, I guess, um, I don't know if they're joining, um, other Methodist churches around the world. Cause interesting enough is a lot of the more conservative Methodist churches are in Africa, especially, um, Nigeria and other parts of, of Africa, Africa that are English speaking. Um, and so they may be joining at a larger denomination together. And so most of these churches are not, yeah, most of these churches are considered more, cons- more conservative, uh, socially, politically, um, and probably also theologically, 
but you know, Methodist theology or Wesleyan theology is different than Reformed theology. Uh, tend to be far more um, Arminian in their understanding of salvation. That salvation is is a part of not all about God's work, but that there is some part of salvation is man uh, driven or man decided, and um, and so. You see a lot of church actually. It's it's really it's not over you know uh, doctrine like uh, the inerrancy of scripture or soteriology or the nature and the person of Christ. The major issues are social. It's uh, it's, it's homosexuality. It's uh, transgender. Can they be members of the church? Can they be bishops actually in the church? Um, because currently the United Methodist Church allows women to be bishops, and now the the argument is should should LGBTQ or even transgender be able to be bishops in the denomination? And so, very many disagree with that trajectory and that uh, trend in the denomination. So they're choosing to leave. And so, the expectation is because of this large group of churches. I remember one sixth of the church leaving. The, the expectation is the denominational a- agencies are preparing for a thirty eight percent drop in. In, in, in giving from 2025 to 2028. And that's a massive a lot amount of money. I don't know exactly, but you're talking about 30,000 churches just in the U.S. And I'm going to mention a few churches that have excess of 3,000, 5,000 members of that church. And so, especially in some areas that are more affluent, you're, you're probably saying millions and millions and millions of dollars will no longer be given to the United Methodist Church. And as I mentioned before, uh, many of these churches are joining the global Methodist church. Basically, it's a new denomination that they're starting. Uh, with that drop in funding, they're also expecting about 2.3 million members to be to, to lead the United Methodist Church. And that's about, I mean, that's close to a third of the amount of members uh, leaving. There's about 6.3 million uh, people who consider themselves members of the United Methodist Church. There's uh, another church um, that's leaving. Uh, they made the decision to leave the United Methodist Church. This is White Chapel United Methodist Church outside Dallas. They have about six thousand worshipers weekly. Uh, their members uh, made the decision not even not only, not only are they leaving the United Methodist denomination, but they're not even joining the Global Methodist Church. They're joining a new denomination that they're creating called the Methodist collegiate college. And there was a little bit of surprise because White's Chapel United Methodist Church is not a very conservative uh, denomination, um, not a very conservative church. And so they, they were considered one church that could possibly stay in the United Methodist denomination, but they've chosen to leave. And they're not actually joining any other, they're not joining other United Methodist churches. They're joining their own. They're creating their own kind of group. Uh, they even said they're going to put people over piloty, which and it's interesting when they use that terminology because when I, when I read that people over piloty, it's almost like they are kind of this, this very loosey goosey, uh, type of, of church uh, structure. Uh, it could, they could be, they could be led to, to more liberalism and, um, and actually even moving into, cause if you put people over piloty, if you put people over doctrine or, or beliefs, won't you then include people that are LGBTQ? Wouldn't you including people that, uh, that, that historically have, have rejected the church. And so again, like, if you go to the extreme with that, if that's, if that's where your intentions lie as people over polity, then 
what are what are your standards? What are what is your what are your what is your church rooted in? Are you rooted in scripture? You're rooted in God's word? Are you rooted in just making people happy? Isn't that what the United Methodist Church is already doing? And then that why you're leaving? And so I want to get to actually I think the bigger reason why churches are leaving the United Methodist Church. And um, so one other church in Plano, Texas, St. Andrew Methodist Church has about 65 6,500 members and is considered the seventh largest United Methodist church in Texas. They also are leaving the United Methodist church, but they are also not joining the global Methodist church. And also not uh, joining the Methodist collegiate college. They are kind of becoming an independent church. Um, So they will be in some sense, non-denominational. And, uh, and I think what, I think a better, uh, if we wanted to kind of talk about why this is, why this is going on, obviously there is some disagreements over a very controversial issue and an issue the Bible speaks to quite clearly that homosexuality is a sin and transgenderism is a rejection of God's creation. Uh, God creates men to be men and God creates women to be women. Uh, we, we can look to biology itself. Uh, we can look to sexual organs. Um, there are some rare, 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 rare cases, but for most, most people you're born into this world, uh, as a, either a man or a woman. And to, to say that you have, uh, agency on what you are and what sex you are is, is a rejection of God's authority and Lordship over your life. So I am in total agreement for leaving the Methodist church. If I was a member of St. Andrew Methodist church or White's Chapel United Methodist church or Carville United Methodist church, I would vote to leave the United Methodist church nomination. Um, because homosexuality is a sin and to affirm it and to say that it's not sinful is to reject the Bible. Um, and, and when we think about not only who are members of the church, who are members of the church have to be followers of Christ who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore are part of God's people. They're part of the church. So to allow members who reject God's word is ludicrous but also to to ordain members, ordain bishops or pastors or elders who accept a lifestyle that is anti-scripture is ridiculous and therefore should be rejected. But another issue that I think may be the may, the bigger issue, it may not. You know, there may be some churches out there. There may be many of these five thousand churches that leave based solely on that um, that reason, and they agree exactly what I'm saying. Yes, it's against God's word. We are followers of Christ. We are followers of God's word. He, God, is our Lord, and we He has authority over us, and therefore we're accountable to Him. Therefore, we will follow His word, and we are going to reject whomever affirms a worldview that is opposite of God's word. I I do think there's probably there are some of those churches, but I think maybe many of them, maybe they, their issue is something that's a little bit, I think a concerning thing. Um, this article that uh, I didn't even mention the, the title of the article that I'm uh, for, uh, looking at here. It's there goes the churches by Mark Tooley from world magazine. World magazine is a, is a, is a, is an online and printed magazine that uh, is basically, um, news and world events in, um, kind of with a, with a kind of rooted in uh, biblical truth. And, um, 
And so one of the things that Mark Tooley, who is actually a part of the United Methodist Church, he, he brings out, he says that we have entered into a post-denominational kind of church age. There's a less interest in centralized church bureaucracy and denominational authority. And I do think he's right. I think hence why over the past, I don't know, 20 plus years, you've seen more non-denominational churches, independent churches. Um, you t- I mean, I you know grew up Southern Baptist and planted Southern Baptist churches. And the church that I planted in Evansville is called Redeemer Fellowship Church. It's Southern Baptist, but it's not in the name because we understand that sometimes people see a denominational name and are turned off by it. So it's pretty common now for church plants, especially not to put Baptist or any denominational tie, even if they are denominationally tied. But I think this anti-institutionalism is, you know, I think there's worth and maybe some of these churches have tried and they have tried very hard to, to change and to speak about the, the role, the errors of some of the thinkings of their fellow churches. And I think there's, there is some worth in sticking with that and continuing to be a reformer in the denomination. Um, I think you definitely could say that about um, Adrian Rogers and a few others Southern Baptists in the seventies and eighties who were reformers. They reformed the denomination and now the denomination is far more conservative and more sound doctrinally. And their seminaries are excellent when it comes to training pastors. And so there was a, an era of reformed or resurgence called the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist convention. And maybe the Methodist church needs some of these leaders to do that and not give up. I think that's, I think that's appropriate. I think God does use institutions. Um, we see many institutions over the, over the, the decades and centuries that God has used in a, in a powerful way to effect change in the world and to expand his kingdom. And so I don't, I think that there's, I think there's more to it than just simply, well, that's wrong. So therefore we're leaving. And, you know, maybe some of these churches need to be a part of reforming and maybe they have been part of reforming and they're giving up because it's a lost cause. And that could be true. But, you know, one of the bigger issues, I think, even in Christendom and the Christian world is just this rejection and, and well, we're going to do it our way and we're going to be independent from everyone. And I do like, you know, coming back to this, I do like what, you know, um, St. Andrew Methodist Church, the one outside, the one in Plano, Texas, it says, he, they write this, explaining the reason why they left. It says, St. Andrew will dis- disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church and will not affiliate with any other existing Methodist denominations. St. Andrew will remain Methodist with the same Wesleyan theology. We will be named St. Andrew Methodist and operate over a period as an independent Methodist church while seeking partnerships and accountability with other like-hearted churches. I I really like that they stated that because they do see the need and the importance of partnering with other churches and being held accountable to fellow churches. And I think that in its spirit is the, is the, is denominationalism. It's, it's partnership and missions. It's partnership and church planning, but also accountability, mutual accountability to one another. And that's why I think denominations have purpose. I think they have, I mean, I am a bit, I've been, I've been benefited by the Southern Baptist convention. I was able to go to seminary for a, at a discounted price because of my churches. And I've been able to go on mission trips because of churches. And we've been able to send missionaries around the world because of the partnership and of churches and the cooperation of churches. 
And so we can do more together. And I think there's, I think one of the things about Presbyterians is that they have had, they have such a, a rich history of, of accountability uh, to one another as churches, you know, with the Presbyterian structure, you have uh, presbyters over certain, over regions and they help to, to uh, lead and over the different churches and their regions together. I think that is a healthy and really good system and would definitely advocate for that. And, so I do think denominations have a purpose. I don't think being independent and being completely separated and without any partnership with other churches and not being held accountable and holding other churches accountable uh, through relationship. I think that is important and it has, has very important value. We see Paul um, um, rising up the church in Corinth and church in Macedonia to give money to the church in Jerusalem. Um, we see the church in Antioch sending Paul and Barnabas out to plant churches. We see Paul and Barnabas coming back and being a part of the, the, um, the, um, the council of Jerusalem and encouraging the Gentile churches, uh, what that was, what was decided. So you see this history, even in the new Testament of churches cooperating together and holding each other accountable and, and partnering in the gospel together. And I still think that that is really, really important. And I think in the future, I think, the importance of accountability, but also partnership as churches is going to be even more important because I think the world is going to be harder on the church. I think American government, I think there's going to, there's going to be more persecution to come. And I think through that, we're going to have to rely on each other. We're going to have to uh, walk hand in hand, being of the same mind uh, as we partner together to reach the loss with the gospel under more difficult circumstances. And I think it's important that we do unite together. Now, I, I, I want to come back to this because I think it's important to, to also just remind you that yes, it's worth dividing when it comes to truth. It is worth dividing when it comes to um, our beliefs and our doctrine and our theology. And I, I do think where the United Methodist Church is coming, going is dangerous. And I do think that the denomination over time, the United Methodist church denomination over if there, if they do not reform, if they do not repent of their sins and, and turn back to God and his word, they will die as a denomination. Uh, that is, uh, being shown uh, through the Episcopal church is losing people constantly. Most of their churches are under a hundred people. They will eventually die out. Uh, the um, Presbyterian church of the uh, PCA, uh, I'm sorry, Presbyterian church, of the United States, um, is a dying denomination. They lose members, 150,000 members every year. They will eventually be no longer a denomination. That is the price you pay for your social and liberal agenda and you will die. And so that is true. And I think, um, if the United Methodist doesn't change and they don't reform, they will die. And so it is worth dividing when it comes to doctrine, but it's also worth at times to stay put, to help reform and to help, um, help be the voice of change. And I think you saw that with the SBC in the seventies and eighties, you saw that, you know, you know, Martin Luther tried to have the Catholic church reform, but, but they didn't, 
They rejected reforming. They rejected the Reformation, and therefore Luther and others uh, started their own, own their own movement. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 12 months with the United Methodist Church. I know that our church has seen several United Methodists from our local Methodist Church come to our church. Um, and so I think that trend will continue. It'll continue across the United States. And so if you are a conservative Bible-believing church, expect your Methodist brothers and sisters to, to show up at their door waiting, eager to hear the gospel, eager to hear God's work, because they, for many of them, they haven't heard it in a long time, and please serve them and minister to them well. And so, um, yeah, you look into more about that. Uh, this is from World Magazine, and uh, check it out if you'd like to read more, and there's probably other articles out there um, that you could read that will help you understand what's going on with the United Methodist Church. And if you're a part of the United Methodist Church, I just want to pray for you and and maybe if God's called you to stay where you are because God's going to use you to help reform that church, I want to pray for you. But if God is leading you to leave, um, there are many God Bible believing churches that I want to encourage you to go to. Um, if you live in the Cairo, Memphis area, you're, you're welcome to come visit us at Central Church. We'd love to have you. Our services are at 9, 15, 11 a.m. and go to centralchurch.com. And, but also if you live in other parts of the country, uh, let me encourage you to go to nine marks website, nine marks.com um, or .org. Can't remember to try both and see what comes up or gospel coalition is another uh, website. I would encourage you to go to. And uh, those churches are, are, I know that all those churches on there are Bible believing and they are conservative in their understanding of, of sexuality in the body. Uh, another website you can, you can go to that will also help you, um, help you find, uh, a good church, um, is a network that I was a part of. It's the Harbor network. And, um, that will help you find a good church. Some of these churches are fairly small. So you'll find a very intimate community that you can be a part of. So there's just three places, uh, nine marks gospel coalition, or Harbor Network. Um, I'm going to mention just quickly here. I, I don't know. I'm talking about time I have. Okay. I need to wrap this up soon. Um, but just my favorite books of 2022, books that I have read this year. I, I had, I've read a lot, but there's sometimes I read books and I forgot that I read them, which is probably not very good. But, you know, I'm kind of constantly looking for new material, do things to read. But let me mention a few. Uh, one book that I uh, just adored is um, Adoring the Dark by Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson is, uh, is a Singer songwriter. He was at our church this past Saturday. I'm a big fan of his music, but probably a bigger fan of his books. Um, and uh, he's written some children's uh, books, but he's got two books out um, that are, you know, talk about different aspects. One was about just place, which is a, a great book. But um, but this one is about really about art and, and writing. And uh, this is Adorning the Dark, Thoughts on Community, Calling, and the Mystery of Making. Very much about, you know, if you're a writers and if you're a musician or you're an artist, um, just continue to, to write, continue to create, continue to make things for the glory of God. And, um, and, and maybe God can use that to, to, to encourage or to, uh, teach someone in need. Um, and so just, um, just a, 
a very just it's an artist or writer's book and just a very uh, motivational in that in that in that area so that's kind of where you are and and you're an artist or you're a musician or you're a writer or just want to be inspired uh adorning the dark by andrew peterson is a, is a great book um for anyone out there who's interested in kind of in in where our sacraments come from our or ordinances want to just good good commentary on baptism and the lord's supper immense our beloved stands by michael haken Michael Haken is a uh, professor at Southern Seminary covering sacraments in the Baptist tradition. A uh, beautiful little book here and very um, just thought provoking about from a histor- historical standpoint on how the Baptist church uh, historically have um, looked at the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, another book just want to recommend if you're into poetry, uh, this is a great uh, Christian poet. Sojourner Songs is the title by Penn Palpant, Palpant, P-A-L-P-A-N-T. Great, great collection of Christian poems. And um, I actually recommended this to a friend and um, just a great little book. And he actually has some, some scripture in the back that he refers to in his poems and some Psalms and some um, mostly Psalms. Um, But a great little, it's not very long, but just a, um, you know, one of the poems is called The Weight of Wonder and uh, just a, a good kind of contemporary modern uh, poetry uh, if you're into kind of poetry or like to just kind of like small readings that are very thought provoking and deep in its lyrics. Um, that's one I wanted to encourage you with. Uh, a book that I'm kind of in the process of finishing, but wanted just to kind of throw it out there to uh, The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Recovering the Adventure of Christian Faith by Tevin Wack. Uh, just really... Um, challenging the challenging its readers to study theology, uh, especially in the church. There's kind of a rejection of intellectualism and, and reading and studying. And we're all, you don't have, you don't have to be a pastor to study theology. I would argue that every Christian should study, study theology. Now, obviously you're, it's a range in how much you're going to study, but all of us should be studying theology and, and, and challenging ourselves and our understanding of the Christian faith. And so that's a great little book. Um, it's not very long, but, um, just kind of, kind of a book that's been helpful for me as a pastor and and how I should challenge and motivate the people in my church to study theology. Uh, a great book that is very relevant for our time is wonderfully made by John Clint Clinning, Clinning, Kleining, Kleining, my bad, Kleining, K-L-E-I-N-I-G. I'm not very good at pronouncing names, Um, but um, the wonderfully made a Protestant theology of the body. Great, 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 great book. I don't know if I can say that enough. It is some of these chapters are so good. Um, Two that I would really just wanted to highlight the sexual body and the spousal body is so so good. I underlined a lot of things in those chapters and uh, really just providing a, a, a survey, I guess is the best term to use on the biblical understanding of the body and, and what the purpose of the body is, you know, God created the body. Good. It's not bad. It's not it's God's created it for a purpose, which is to glorify him and to, and to use it for his glory and for his praise. And there's a certain way we should use our body. 
And the issue going on today is there's just such fluidity with the body. It's whatever you want to use it for. And we reject that. And that is not proper understanding of the body from a biblical standpoint. So great, great book. And uh, we really recommend it. A few others. Uh, he is not ashamed by Eric Raymond is such a, it's a good little book. And it reminds me of uh, gentle and lowly, which was one of my favorite books last year. Um, so if you like gentle and lowly, you will like, he is not ashamed by Eric Raymond. Not very long. Chapters are pretty short, but very, very encouraging. A few other books. Uh, he Descended to the Dead by Matthew Emerson. If you have always been curious why it mentions in the Apostle Creed that he ascended into hell, uh, Michael Matthew Emerson does a great job of helping us understand or helping his reader understand why that is put in the Apostle's Creed. It doesn't mean you have to agree with its what its statement, but he does provide a helpful um, uh, commentary on that phrase. A few little books that aren't really, that aren't Christian, but books that were just, I enjoyed this, this year with the teammates by David Helberstam. Uh, it's about a friendship of three Boston Red Sox players. And uh, one of those was, um, Oh, I'm going to forget his name. <laughs> I'm not very good sometimes of reminding of remembering names on the spot. Uh, but just it's a, if you're into baseball, uh, that's a great little book, the teammates and, um, want to encourage you to pick that up and read that. If you're, if you love baseball, love sports, love the Red Sox, or just like friendship, want to just point you to that, that book. Uh, the last one I'm going to mention is called The Last Season by Stuart Stevens. It's about a father and a, and a son who go and go to every Ole Miss football game. His father was getting, uh, I think he was in his 90s. His son was in his 50s. And he saw that this was maybe his last year to spend time with his father. And so they went to every Ole Miss football game and kind of chronicle every one of those games, those experiences. And uh, I loved it. I'm not an Ole Miss fan, but I do love college football and I love father-son books and um, anything that it was just a really, it was a, it was a nice sweet book to read. That's the, the last season by Stuart Stevens. Um, kind of all my Christmas reading lists, some books that I'm reading right now that I just, uh, maybe I'm just point to that, uh, maybe you'll be kind of interested in, and maybe it'll encourage you to read during this Christmas season, Top Gun, an American story. This is the historical history of the Top Gun program. So if you like the Top Gun movie, this is kind of the, the, the background. This is the historical background to the actual Top Gun program. Uh, a book that I'm currently reading, uh, Battle Cry of Freedom by James McPherson. I want to know more about the Civil War in the context around the Civil War. And this was considered one of the best books on that. It's very long. So we'll see if I can get through it by the end of the year. But Battle Cry of Freedom, uh, a book that I'm hoping maybe read in the beginning of the next year is Rembrandt is in the Wind by Russ Ramsey, kind of talking about art um, and, and, and art when it comes in, in, in the Christian worldview. Uh, a book that I have owned for a little bit, but have not made much heyday, but love to kind of maybe get more into it is Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. I really love Wendell Berry. And this is one of his novels, novels, uh, some two books that I may not get to this year may have to put on the kind of list for the spring, but God's design for man and woman by Andrus Kostenberger and then more than a white man's religion by Ab Du Murray. Some books that I'm on my list and books that I'm reading currently, and I'm trying to read more history books. Uh, I had spent so much time reading theology books during my doctorate program and other things that I'm kind of feel like I need to fill in some, some gaps in my reading with some books on history. 
some of my favorite movies and TV shows this year. I don't have much to mention. There's just not a lot of movies that I watched this year and there's not a lot of movies that are made worth watching. So Top Gun Maverick, it was everything I wanted it to be and much more loved it. I grew up super fan of the first movie. It was one of the movies that I grew up watching as a kid and uh, love airplanes. My love of airplanes come from Top Gun and Maverick was was perfect in every way and saw it again with my wife and loved it just as much the second time as I did the first time. So uh, that will be a constant watch one for, for me and my family. And I like the second one better because it's far more clean. There's far less cussing in it. And so a movie I can show my son at some point, sons at some point. Uh, another book, movie that most people probably didn't watch, but The French Dispatch by Wes, well, it's a Wes Anderson movie. I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, love everything he, he makes. And it's so sweet and perfect. And French Dispatch is 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 very Wes Anderson and I loved it and would love to watch it again. But most people don't like Wes Anderson. It's a very small group of people who are just diehard fans of his. And I'm definitely one of them. So the French dispatch. And then the last one is a Netflix movie operation mince meat. It was about the, the uh, world war two operation to deceive the Nazis. Um, and loved it. I think it was very interesting. A lot of the CIA, I'm not CIA, but the British intelligence and all of the, um, they had to basically make up a story, um, in the background for a, a dead body that they were going to use to deceive the, the Nazis that the, the, the British were going to invade, uh, and, and Greece, even though they ended up invading Sicily and, and then, then that's how they were able to, to kind of conquer the Italian, uh, Mussolini and basically, um, basically be the, 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 the Eastern front to the, the Western push during D-Day to then overwhelm the Germans and win the war. So Operation Immense Meat was really good. It was a nice, a nice, just great war or two movie that I enjoyed. It was really the only movies that I watched that I think I can remember some TV shows that I really enjoyed this year. I was a big fan of uh, Loki. Loki was great. Very Doctor Who-ish, which I'm a fan of. It was good sci-fi that we haven't really had in a long time. So big fan of Loki and can't wait for season two. Um, I've said it on this podcast, Stranger Things, Stranger Things season four was some of the best TV I've ever watched. It was just such a thriller. Such it was horror. It was just so good in every way. Wasn't a big fan of Obi Wan Kenobi. It was. It had its moments, but as a t- totality, wasn't a fan. But I have really enjoyed Andor. I think it's been a great Star Wars series, and just shows you that one of the best Star Wars movies made in, in a while was was Rogue One. Rogue One, I think, is is the best Star Wars movie made uh, since the uh, original three. And you, I mean, the show is, is very, very good. And so that's, that's, that's what I would include in my kind of favorite shows of the year. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of wanted to kind of provide a little bit of that, uh, as I kind of end the year, probably do one more episode before we kind of close out the year and look at some stories that are kind of, um, that kind of come out before the end of the year around Christmas. And then we'll kind of take a pause and then we'll start season two sometime in January. So it's been great to, to be with you today and hope this is enjoyable to you and encouraging you. And I want to just encourage you to continue to read the news with the Bible in your hand. And this has been Dr. Castro and we'll see you next week.